Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is over Zechariah, chapter 5, entitled, Flying In and Flying Out. Amen. Good morning. We're in the book of Zechariah. If you know where Matthew is and turn left two books, you will be in Zechariah. Second to the last of the Old Testament. And we are making our way through the Old Testament, hitting the highlights. The problem with Zechariah is it's hard to know what isn't highlights. Eight different visions here. All of them have similar meanings and yet differ at the same time. And we are, sorry, we are making our way through there. We're going to be in chapter 5 this morning. We're going to read the whole, the, the whole chapter together because we need to do that. Uh, just 10, 11 verses, and so it's not that bad, but it's also uh, so chock full of meaning and or, um, as you're going to see, difficulty, um, that it, it, it really, we need to swallow the whole thing, uh, even though it may be hard to swallow. So let's take a look at it. Chapter 5, we're going to be in verse 1. It says, Then I lifted up my eyes. Remember every, every, every sequence here, he's, as he changes the vision, the angel, either he's instructed or he himself says, I lifted up my eyes. It's like he... He's in the middle of the night. He's seeing these different visions, different dreams. They're not actually dreams. I don't think he ever falls asleep in here per se to dream. Every time he sees one of these, he's wide awake. So I looked up my eyes again and looked, and behold, there was a flying scroll. So what was it? As far as we know, that's what it was. Take it for what it says. You know, immediately we start coming up with these conjectures. Oh, it's not that. It's this. Well, who gave you the authority to do something like that? Let the Bible say what it says, and then when the Bible adjusts itself, then you adjust. But you don't have any authority to make it say what, it's, what you want it to say. There's a great danger in that. This is God's Word. It's not your Word. It's not coming from your head. Thank the Lord it's not. You know, you're not God, and we are all grateful that you're not. I lift my eyes and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. That's what he saw. And then, so the angel says, says to him, that's the he there, what do you see? And I said, I see a flying scroll. Okay. Its length is 20 cubits with 10 cubits. I don't know if it had it written on there what the length was. I don't know how he came to the conclusion what the size was, but that is the size. Whatever it was, it doesn't tell us. But it does tell us, so we should take it, again, at face value. Then he said to me, this is the curse. So wait a second. I thought it was a scroll. So see, now we've adjusted our theology. So it's not actually a scroll. It's actually a symbol of a curse. In the shape of a scroll, if you will, we're going to get to what that means in just a second. But actually... The direct meaning is, it is the curse. And I, I would suggest to you, or maybe I would not suggest, I would, I would uh, bet that you have this curse written in your house. How many of you have a curse hanging on your wall? Anybody? Don't you? I bet you do. Pastor Bill's nuts. No, he's not. Well, yeah, he is, but not on this one. Anybody have the Ten Commandments hanging in your house? Do you not? Do you know that that's a curse? There's no blessing in the Ten Commandments. It's only a curse. The only way it's a blessing is if you've never broken any of them. And then it's a curse otherwise. I'm not kidding. It really is. Very serious one. God's very serious about it. It's not a blessing. I'm not saying take it down. because It is the foundation of our society, hopefully. And the foundation of any stable society has been the Ten Commandments. Nonetheless, you understand if you've broken them, they're curses to you. They're not blessings. They're the reasons why you are going to hell. Maybe you should say that the next time you have friends over. It says, what is that? That's the ten reasons why I'm going to hell. 
What a conversation starter, right? Ten reasons, maybe here's a better one. The ten reasons why I need Jesus. That's a great one. Why you need Jesus. That's an awesome, that's an awesome perspective on it. But they are curses indeed. Why did Jesus become a curse? Because you had taken the curse yourself. He took those commandments. He lived them perfectly. He took the, that you've broken. He hung on the cross for you to pay for those curses, to pay for those things. So, so I would suggest to you that's what's happening here. We're going to do better explanation so you don't take it, just take what I say. But this curse, if you will, was written on, notice, both sides, like the Ten Commandments. It says, Surely everyone who steals will be purged away according to the writing on one side, and everyone who swears will be purged away according to the writing on the other side. So only two commandments on here, right? That's kind of weird, but we're going to talk about that. It says, I will make it go forth, it says, declares the Lord of hosts, and it will enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name, and it will spend the night within that house and consume it with its timbers and stones. Wow. That's some rich words, isn't it? Then the angel who was speaking with me went out, and he said to me, Lift up now your eyes and see what this is that goes forth. So now we've had a scroll. Now we're going to get a second vision here. See what this is that's going forth. So the scroll is flying in, and we're going to see something that's now flying out. He says, What is this? What is it? I said. And the angel, he says to him, This is the ephah going forth. It's a measure, a dry measure, uh, about the equivalent of a bushel. Again, he said, this is the appearance, their appearance in all the land. The appearance of what? It's going to tell us here. Behold, the lead cover was on it. So it's, an, it's a measure. It's got a cover on it made out of lead. And notice it says, and this is, there was a woman, it says, sitting in the ephah. And, of course, it says this is wickedness. Of course, all the gentlemen here would expect that, right? I mean, women are bad. That's not what it's saying. That's not what it's saying. So it's not actually a woman. It's actually wickedness. Sim symbolized by a woman. Sorry, ladies. It's, it's nothing, nothing against womanhood or anything like that. It's just a symbol. It's not, not reality. All, if, you're, if you're a sinner and a woman, you're wicked. If you're a man and a sinner, you know, you're wicked too. So we're all in the same boat. But it's just a symbol here. Okay? It, it, it is wickedness. It's not, not actually a woman Okay, because it tells us that. This is wickedness, he says, verse 8. And he threw her down in the middle of the ephah and cast this lead weight on, in opening. So it's, a, it's containing wickedness here. It's a, the representative of that. I lifted my eyes and looked, and there were two women who were coming out with the wind in their wings, and they had wings like the wings of a stork. A stork is a bad bird. It's a dirty bird in the Scriptures. So I would suggest to you these women represent demons. Again, I'm sorry, ladies, that it's women, but nonetheless, it's not speak, it's spoken of against womanhood. It's spoken of just a representation. So they, they lifted up the ephah, between the earth and the heavens. And I said to the angel who was speaking to me, where are they taking the ephah? And then he said to me to build a temple for her, for wickedness, right? In the land of Shinar, read that, Babylon. And when it, when it is prepared, she will be set there on her own pedestal. She's going to have her day, in other words. So it's sort of a scary thing. This woman who's being contained at this point is going to be uncontained at some point. Uh, yet future as far as Zechariah is concerned, and I would suggest to you, uh, yet future as far as we're concerned. And so we're going to talk about this passage in just a second, but first of all, I'm going to talk about more the implications of it. There are a lot of places in the Bible that we, even, even books in the Bible, that we tend to overlook or we skip. Anybody a Bible reader here? I suggest to you, read the Bible. I'm averaging at least once a year, a little more than once a year. You need to be doing that. Um, 
you need to be doing. You claim to be a Christian, you claim to be a Bible believer, but you're not a Bible reader. So how can you actually believe that which you are not studying and reading? It doesn't make any sense. You need to be reading the Scriptures. Have a regular schedule reading the Scriptures. You've got it on your phone. You've got it in paper print here. You need to do it. Um, but there's a, portions in the Bible that we tend to shy away from, even skip. For instance, First and Second Chronicles. Why would we skip a place like that? Because it's got all these begets. So-and-so begets, so-and-so who begets, so-and-so who begets, so-and-so who did these things and who became the father of these people who built this city and who constructed this, and they became the head of this clan, and this, and it's just, and it's a bunch of names we can't pronounce, and so we skip over stuff like that because we think it's not necessary for us. And then we have other places like, um, like Job. A lot of people don't like Job because they would like to think that life would not ever go that way. And I, you know, I feel your, I feel it for sure. Leviticus is another place we skip. Why? Because who wants to know how many animals you have to sacrifice and how many pieces of bread and baths of oil and wine and certain things that are uh, can't, bread that can't be leavened and other ones that can and et cetera, et cetera. So we skip over stuff like that because we think it's unnecessary for us. And then uh, places like uh, Lamentations. Who wants to lament, right? I mean, who goes there to be blessed? Lamentations is a sad and depressing book of, of people and their sin and what ultimately happens to them. And so we skip places like that. And I would say I understand that. On the other hand, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it as a pastor, just simply as a Christian, because I understand, and I want you to understand, what the Bible is. The Bible is everything that God wants you to know. Not everything there is to know. There are lots of things there is to know. But the things that matter, he put in here. He didn't put everything in here. But what he wants you to know, he put in here, and he didn't leave anything out that you needed. And he didn't put it in here so that you can pick and choose what you like and don't like. This is not a buffet, okay? This is a take it all, or really, honestly, leave it all kind of proposition. Uh, you're, you're, this Bible is not sent here for us to decide what, what we should like and not like. Here's what Paul has to say about the Old Testament. Here we are in the Old Testament with a tough passage. And the reason why I'm getting at this is because you're like, well, why aren't we preaching on this crazy passage with a flying scroll and all this stuff? Because of what Paul says. Look. But whatever was written in the earlier times was written for our instruction. So what can we say about the chapter 4 or chapter 5 of Zechariah? It was written for our instruction. So we need to learn from it. It was also, notice, so that through perseverance, see, some of these things you just have to persevere through. Yeah, I know beget so-and-so, beget so-and-so. Read it anyway. Persevere. You've got some love. You love certain passages. You clip them out. You put them on your... You know, you have them as your screensaver and you put them on your mirror and all this kind of stuff. And I understand that. I got those too. There's other paths, but, but it's just because you like it doesn't make it good or bad, all right? It's all good. It's all from God through perseverance. Some of these places you got to persevere through. And the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Don't you want hope? Then you're going to have to persevere through it. Don't you want that? The encouragement of the scriptures, part of the reason why we take on passages like this is because we believe all the word of God for all the people of God, right? Because we, we need to endure and we need to have, don't you want hope? The hope that it brings. And so we're going to endure ourselves through this passage, albeit difficult. And so we're coming back to it now. What, what is this? What's the purpose of this? Well, let's, let's talk about that together. And let me give you the short cliff note version in case you have to leave early. Here we go. Here's what it is. This passage is simply the judgment of God on sinners, 
on sin and the system that perpetrates it. That's what it is. It is the thoroughness of the judgment of God on sinners. Are you one of those? Pay attention. Do you, on sin, do you have any of that? Pay attention. And the system that perpetrates it, we live in that system. That's what it is, very simply. So this, this is things that are flying in here, and there are things that are flying out here, and so let's, let's take a look at these things. First of all, what is flying in? It says there's this gigantic scroll. The scrolls were the, the, the way that they communicated printed material. They did it on a scroll. What they would do is they would take plant fibers like papyrus, which is primarily what was used. They would press them together. They would bleach them. They would iron them really flat. They would link them together, and they would make these long sheets, and they would, they would bind those together, and then they would put a wooden dowel on one end and start rolling, and a wooden dowel on the other end and start rolling, and they would have this long piece of material paper, if you will. By the way, plant, plant material pressed together and bleached is the same thing. You know, that's what this is. And, and by the way, if we think that we're advanced, we have some of their papyrus rolls that are 27, 2,700 years old. That's some good paper, I would suggest to you. So we think we're advanced at the same time. I, I have books that are decaying that are not even 100 years old. And yet they got stuff at 2,700 years anyway. So they would roll these up, and typically they were, you know, sheet size, 19, 20 inches wide. They may be super long. For instance, uh, the, the Book of the Dead, which was found in Egypt, which was a scroll, was 123 feet long, only 19 inches tall, but rolled up, you know, pretty thick, 123 feet. So, so this being 20 cubits by, 30, by 10 cubits, which is basically 30 feet wide or 30 feet long and 15 feet wide, the length is not that surprising. It's the width that's surprising. 30 feet, this rim's about 25 feet wide to get an idea, maybe 27. So you're roughly a scroll that's this wide or this, this long, but 15 feet that way. It's going to be a huge dowel that would have to be rolled up on. Anyway, so, so uh, I know some of your translations, the authorized version would say it's a book. It's not actually a book. Books, in the sense of leafed-bound stuff, was not invented to the 4th century A.D. So 300 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, we ever get the first book. Everything prior to that, if it was written, was written on scrolls or clay tablets or stone or whatever. But if it was printed, uh, it was written on a scroll. So that's, that's kind of what we have here. And this scroll is huge. Like I said, 30 by 15 feet. Uh, the billboards typically, the large billboards you see here as you're coming on South Padre Island, not so much the island but other places, um, are 14 by 48. That's the standard large size. So this being 15 by 30, you're basically looking at a flying billboard. Uh, I don't know if anybody residents on the island right now or staying on the island, you saw this plane that's been flying around here with, I don't know what they're advertising, Geico or something. Now those those uh, banners are 8 by 30. And so you're getting close, 7 feet wider, and you've got basically what this thing is. And so that's what he sees. And so he sees this, and here's what it is. It is, as I said before, it's a picture of God's Word, in particular the commandments contained in the scrolls written by the Jews. They would have gotten that picture. They would have understood it as a scroll with the commandments written on it. They would have understood that's what it is. And so now we're understanding that. It's God's Word. And God's Word describes itself several ways that are very important for us as far as applying it to our lives. For instance, notice two different ways here in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29. Is not, God speaking, is not my word like a fire? And the answer is yes. 
It is. I thought it was a paper. No. It will not be paper ultimately for us. It will be a fire. Here's one of the things you need to address when it comes to the scriptures. It's going to be a fire in your life. And you need to decide what that fire is going to do. Either A, God's decision for you, God's desire for you, is that it burns away the things he disagrees with, that it leads you away from the things that are corrupting and that are destructive. That's his desire that the word does for you, that it leads you to life through his son, Jesus Christ, which is the message ultimately that is proclaimed in the written word of God. That's the kind of fire that God wants it to be. If that is not acceptable to you, here's what you need to know. It will still be a fire for you. But it won't burn away the goods, the bad stuff. It'll burn away all your stuff, including you. You just got to decide where you're going to fall with it. It's going to be a fire. It's going to be. You got this scroll, that's, as we saw here, that's flying into these houses and destroying them. And, oh, I'd hate to be them. Well, you're going to get to be them. You fall on the wrong side of this. So there's not exceptions here. It doesn't say, you know, the good sinners. It just says sinners. It's going to come and get them. So it says, first of all, is my word not like a fire? Then it goes on. It says, and like a hammer with shatters to shatters. Hammers can be good. We built this whole building with hammers. You know, house you live in, the, the pew you sit on was built with hammers. Hammers can be very constructive, and the word of God can be very constructive in your life. It can chip away and knock away and build and change and help you grow and be all those things, and that's God's desire for you. But if that is not acceptable to you, it's still going to be a hammer for you. But it won't fix stuff. It'll shatter stuff. That's your decision. And it also says in another place, again, the Bible describing itself. It says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's sort of the picture here. We have this double-sided uh, scroll here. You've got a double-sided sword. In other words, it cuts no matter which way it goes. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. A, a, a blade can be very useful, can it? Anybody had cancer here? Anybody had a ruptured appendix here? Anybody had other things that you needed? Somebody with a good blade and knew what they were doing with some good education to come in by the grace of God and work in your life and you're better because of it? Blades can be very helpful, can they not? They can be healing. They can be cleansing. They can be helpful. They can change your life for the better. And that's God's desire for you with regards to the Word of God. He wants it to be that for you. He, he wants it to be something that takes away the things that He disagrees with that are destroying you, the, the corruption, the cancer of sin. Let it be that in your life. Let it, let it be that. Hear the message of the gospel, the truth that, that Jesus alone saves and He alone forgives. Hear the message. Let it work. Let it be. Let it do the, the heart surgery that God wants it to be. But if that's unacceptable to you, it's still going to be a blade in your life. But you won't like how it works. It's still going to be a blade. You're not going to change it. It's going to be a fire. It's going to be a hammer. It's going to be a blade. You have to decide on what side you're going to follow this because if you don't allow it to fix you, it will destroy you. Notice Deuteronomy 30 here. The word is very near you, in your mouth, in your heart, that you may do it. There, I just gave it to you. It can't get any closer than that. I just told you. There it is. We just read it. I can't get any more near than that. And then notice as Moses says to the people of Israel, saying also to us, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings, therefore choose life. It's God's desire. But it is your choice. It indeed is. Choose life. 
So, so this, this flies in like an airplane banner, but it, it works like a bulldozer or, or a fire. And then at the end of verse 4 again, it says it comes and spends the night, this curse, within their house and consumes it with the timbers and stones. How effective and thorough is going to be the judgment of God? You need to be tre- trembling with fear against the judgment of God. You should be. You have every reason to be afraid of God. Every reason to be afraid of His judgments. And so His forgiveness and His offer of grace it means so much more when you understand how serious God is about sin. It is a symbol of the thoroughness of the Word of God and His accomplishments to do what it says. And these added tidbits that we're going to see here in just a second, they paint even a more perfect picture uh, for us. First of all, it's size. So why 20 by 10 cubits? Why not? I mean, for me... I didn't write this, but if God was asking me, I'd say, let's make a scroll the size of the whole earth and wrap it up like a package, because that would communicate that nobody's getting away from this. You're getting all the sinners, of course, I'm leaving myself out of that group, all them sinners out there, you know. Um, So let's wrap the whole earth. Why not make it that size? Why make it 20, why not 10 by 10? Why not 100 by 10? Why not? Well, because this size communicates these 20 by 10 cubits or 30 by 15 feet communicates struck a particular chord with the Jews that Zechariah was addressing if you've been with us in our study of Zechariah and Haggai remember these two guys are are together they're twin preachers they're not related per se they're both Jewish but they're they're preaching at the same time at one congregation which is the nation of the Jews who come back from exile 70 years in Babylon They're back in their land. They're back for one purpose, ultimately, which is to rebuild their temple. These guys are preaching to them back and forth, back and forth. And so they're preaching to a congregation who is building a structure. And by the way, that structure is not up to their whims. It has very particular designs. That structure is, in fact, the the temple particularly is exactly double the size of their original worship structure, which was called the tabernacle. Moses built it. By the instructions of God in the wilderness, you remember there were 40 years of wandering. They had this, this tent that was used to worship God. It, just like the temple that these guys are building, had exact dimensions that they could not deviate from. They were, they were told the construction materials, how high, how tall, what color, what size, orientation, everything left nothing to their imagination whatsoever. That, that tent called the tabernacle in the wilderness was exactly half the size of the temple that these guys were building here under Zechariah and Haggai. That tent had a room in it, only had two rooms. One room was exact cube, the other room had the exact dimensions of this scroll, 20 by 10. So when they heard 20 by 10, they'd be catching their breath. Again, the reason why we don't understand this, at least initially, is because we're not Jewish. Even if we were, most Jews don't understand this either. We're not Middle Eastern Jews who lived in the 6th century B.C. If we had that, then this would make a lot more sense to us, okay? But now we are. We're going to turn into... Sorry about that. Don't read that. Back it up. Now we're going to get the instructions here of, of what this actually means. So 20 by 10 was a very serious number for them. Because, again, you had one place called the Holy of Holies, which had the Ark of the Covenant in it, and you had another place called the Holy Place, which had the majority of the holy furniture. It had the lampstand, which represented the light of God, had the, the altar of incense, which represented the prayers of the people, and especially Christ's prayers on our behalf, and it had the table of showbread, which represents Jesus in the sense of He says, I'm the bread of life. 
This representative bread representing us before God, and it's incredibly holy and has great implications both, of course, for the Jews, but most especially for us as believers who know Christ and that he, he was that for us. This 20 by 10 room they were afraid of for all the right reasons. They were not allowed, the average Jew, not allowed to see anything in it. Not, not, not one of them had ever seen ever the, the, the lampstand. You were not allowed to. It, on pain of death, you saw these things. Not ever allowed to see the altar of incense, the table of showbread. The priests were only allowed to see it, and only for certain reasons. And they would take coverings, multiple coverings, and cover them and tie them up. And when they would transport these things, they would cover these things up first so that the average Jew could not see them because they represented the holiness of God. And see, there's a problem with the holiness of God if you, in fact, are not holy. It's kind of like light canceling out darkness. If you happen to be darkness and the light comes on, guess what happens? Poof. Poof, just like that. So they knew way better than to mess with anything inside this 20 by 10 room. You didn't think about it. You talked about it, but they would talk about it in the same way, sort of like we do with our scriptures, like we go today to a courtroom, and I'm not sure why we do it anymore since it seems like our nation doesn't follow this, but we put our right hand on the Bible, right? And raise our left hand and say, I swear to tear the, swear on what? On supposedly my fear of what the scriptures say, which I ought to be afraid of, my respect of who God is, who inspired the scriptures, which I ought to respect, but I don't. It seems like any more in our nation. But, but again, that's the picture. They didn't have the Bible to swear on. They had a particular room or a, a structure they would swear on. They would swear on the temple of God and the rooms and the articles within it. I swear on the lampstand of God that this is true, on, on, the, on the holy room of God that this is true. And they would take it with great fear and great trembling and and that's part of what it says here, those who swear to my name falsely. Uh, God didn't have a problem with them swearing against it honestly. They, they feared this place. And so when they, he hears, when they hear through Zechariah that this, this scroll, if you will, that has commandments on it is exactly 20 by 10, it's just that much more. <gasps> really? You can't mean that. 20 by 10? Oh, that's bad news. It was, to be sure. So, so it's significant in its size. It's also significant in its construct. Written on both sides, but only with two commandments. First commandment is, well, effectively, you shall not steal. And the second commandment is you shall not bear false witness. So don't lie and don't steal. Now, why, if this represents the whole Ten Commandments, and I'm suggesting to you that it does, why would God pick those? Would you have picked those two to represent the whole? Would you have picked them? Is, are you like me? that I consider the lying and the stealing to be the lesser of the ten? Don't you? I mean, I'm, to me, an adulterer needs to go before I do. I'm just a liar. And a murderer needs to go before I do. And, of course, an idolater and those who have any God before God, those are the biggies, right, of the ten. Of course, God doesn't rank them that way. But nonetheless, it's sort of the way we feel. Is it not? Are you just like me? I don't know. Uh, it's, so why would he pick these two? Well, there's, it betrays a couple of things for us. First of all, it, it, it tells us a couple of things that the Jews knew that we did not know, but we're about to know. Here we go. It, it may seem like that, but in fact, this is a picture of all of God's commandments. And what we need to understand is the way the commandments were really originally written will help us understand why this scroll is set up the way that it is. When the commandments were originally written, they were not written by Moses. They were written by the finger of God, it says. But he took two tablets, God did, tablets of stone, and wrote the Ten Commandments on two tablets. So five on one side, five on the other side. You follow me? Moses goes down to the mountain, finds the people sinning. He throws the tablets down, breaks them, grinds them to powder, it says. 
puts the powder in the water and makes the people drink it. I'm just like saying, yeah, get them. That's what I would have done. He was so sick of them. But then God says, you're going to have to bring up two more tablets because we've got to get this taken care of. So he goes back up for another 40 days and 40 nights, brings his own set of tablets this time. Again, God writes on them Ten Commandments. Now, that's not a total surprise, I don't think, to any of you, but what may surprise you is the way that they were written. Because I know, I know how they're written in your house, if they're hanging on your wall. What you have is two, if they represent two, two, two tablets, if you have that kind of picture. I know some of you have that in your house, and that's awesome, and you need to keep it there. But on one side, you have one through five, right? Commandments, most likely. On the other side, six through ten. Isn't that the way it was? That was not the way that they were written originally. They were written antiphonally. So here's, here's a picture. Commandment number one, have no other gods before me written on this tablet. Commandment number two would have been written on this tablet. No, have no false gods. Then commandment number three would have been on this tablet. So on tablet one, you would have had commandment one, commandment three, commandment five, commandment seven, commandment nine. This one, two, four, six, eight, ten, right? Okay, these two commandments that you have here are, would have been the bottom on both tablets. One of them was the eighth, and the other one was the ninth. The ninth would have been the bottom here, and the eighth would have been the second to the bottom on this side. What, what it is, again, we don't, you don't think like a Middle Eastern Jew or a rabbi but, or a prophet like Zechariah. But th that's the way they would do something. They wouldn't give you the whole story. They would give you the last line or the first line of something to represent the whole thing. So why am I saying with confidence that it represents all the Ten Commandments, even though it's only given us, thou shalt not steal, and thou shalt not uh, bear false witness, because that's the way they thought. God is communicating to them in a thought process that they would have understood this is the whole thing. It's the whole Ten Commandments. The construct tells us that. In, in other words, it's, it's, not, it's not that they, they represented the whole. It's not like, oh, well, you know, I'm not a stealer and I'm not a liar, but I'm an adulterer. I get to go free, right? No. No, you don't. This represents the whole thing. It's also when we consider, like I said, some of these may be considered, like these two might be considered some of the lesser of the commandments. So if based upon the lesser of the commandments, based on our reasoning, people are not going to get away with it, what about the greater ones? What about the other nine, the other eight that you've broken? If you're, if you're, if you're a goner for those, if we consider them lesser commandments, like lying and stealing, well, you've broken the other ones as well, and you're done for, for sure. What about the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment of the Bible, you know? One, two, three. Yeah, I'm going to put it on the screen anyway. By the way, I had it listed last, last service as Matthew 26, 37 through 38, and about eight people corrected me because it was, I needed correction, and I don't mind that. Just don't stop me in the service. Just go with me, okay? Just shake your hand out there. It doesn't, doesn't do me any good. Matthew, Matthew 22, 37, 38. Here's Jesus speaking, right? He should know. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So three, category, three categorical categories. This is the first and greatest commandment. So again, what can we say about this? It's the greatest commandment. Jesus says it is. It's written in the Scriptures that way. So here's, here's what I want to ask you. Very personal question, but a very telling question. Have you kept this commandment? Have you kept it in the sense of the way God described it? It's a commandment. It's not a suggestion, is it? It's not a pattern that you should try. For the most part, I'm doing that. Sometimes I mess up. 
Okay, if that's you, then you're, yeah, I'm with you on that. But I want you to understand this, is that is true about you if you've ever messed up with this commandment. You're guilty of breaking the greatest commandment in the Bible. So everyone here, I think I can honest with satisfaction say confidently, we've all broken this commandment. For me, I've lost count how many times I've broken this commandment. Lost count. And yet we all expect to go to heaven, don't we? Why would you expect something like that? So you're going to stand in front of God, and he's going to say, why should I let you in my heaven? And he's going to go down your record, and you've broken the greatest commandment. Why would he let a person who's broken the greatest commandment in the Bible into heaven? So, so here's the question. What's your plan then? That plan is, of being a good boy or a girl is done. It's over. It's out. So you've got to have yourself another plan. And there's not another plan for you. God has provided other plan. See, until you understand that you need to be saved from an, the inevitability of what this is going to mean for you, then a Savior makes no sense. It doesn't. Jesus died for our sins to show a good way and to set a great example. No. He died because that was the only way to save you and me. There is no other way. If there had been another way, he would have done it. He died because there was no other way. If your plan to come to God is anything other than through God's Son, Jesus Christ, you're not going. You've broken the commandments. You're going to go to hell. And it's going to be hot, and it's going to be forever, and it's absolute, and it's just as thorough as this flying scroll that's going to fly into your life. And it's going to work just like a bulldozer, and it's going to trash everything that you've ever thought was right or good. And you know what? You'll have no excuses. Because you know the truth. Jesus is the truth. Will, the question is, will you deal with God's remedy, which is Jesus Christ? Will you accept Jesus as the rescuer and the Savior that he is? I don't care that you know he's this, he is the Savior. That makes no difference for you. You know he is the Savior? Great. Is he your Savior? Have you personally accepted him as Savior? You've got to do that. The scroll is flying, guys. So we have the purging of sin and sinners as the flight in, and the flight out here as we're going to see this change in visions is the system that promotes it all. Let's take a look at it here. So the second half of the vision begins with this ephah. What is that? We already said it before. It's this large measure of the largest measure, dry measure. It's a, effectively a little bit more than a bushel. Might deal with bushel sizes. This is the measure, if you will, of sin for Israel. And their measure is simply this. Here's God's statement. You're not sinning by the cup. You're not sinning by the quart. You're sinning by the bushel. And it's full, right? This woman that represents their wickedness, it's completely full. So it's, it's filled up with this, with this wickedness you're, you're sinning. And so that's so much more, how much more important it is passages that we have like this in Jeremiah. How incredible this is. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, even from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their sins and, and their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. Wow. How blessed, as it says here in Romans 4, right? Are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sins the Lord will not take into account. That's offered to you. The ball's in your court. You see, that can be true for you. Even I've broken the greatest commandments. Yes, there's forgiveness for that in God's Son, Jesus. If you'll simply accept Him, it's great news. It really is. How blessed those are. But I want you to know this is a flying into your life, and you want it flying out for sure. And there's a feeling, again, back to this, that which is flying out, this woman sitting in this ephah. There's a feeling here, and it's correct. 
of this containment. She's contained, right? She's, she's in this basket, and, and the angel pushes her back down, and he puts the lead lid on her, and it gives this idea of she's being held back, and that's exactly right. In the day that Zechariah writes this and receives this vision, sin was being curtailed. Wouldn't you like to live in that day? You still do. You still do. What are you talking about, preacher? Sin is being held back? Yes. I truly believe it is. Based upon my study of the Scriptures, it has not been released. It, she's not out of the basket, guys. So what do you mean, preacher? I don't want to be here when she is. Yeah, that's exactly right. You don't want to be here when she gets out because she's going to have her day. She is, according to verse 11, going to be set on a pedestal and there where, where sin and rebellion began in Babylon and God confused the languages because we were headed downhill so fast. That, that is going to be overcome. We're going to globally come back together. What happens? Here's some, got teachers here? Got, I know you're on vacation, but let's just talk for a second. What happens if I have a room full of eight-year-olds with no adult supervision? Do good things happen? Or do bad things happen? Will the paint stay on the walls? Or will the furniture stay together? Will they be all good boys and good girls because they're all self-governing, governing, we only learn sin in a process, or are we actually born sinners? Which is it? Yeah, I know we've got Susie back there, a couple other ones. Oh boy, you would never want that to happen. They, any one of those kids might be angels by themselves, but you get them together, and they turn into a force greater than the sum of their parts, do they not? I mean, you would be lucky if there's any paint on those walls. Because that's what, sin, that's what sinners do. You get sinners together, we don't get better. And so we have a push globally right now. It's been pushing for a long time, but it, we're being more successful, as they are, to come together. I would suggest to you very strongly that that is not a good thing. I know your heart you know, bleeds for that, and that's what you have is a, is a bleeding heart. Forgive me. Be careful. You get sinners together. They do not produce good things. They, they, they become exponentially bad, and that's where we're headed. So this woman is going to get out, and she's going to turn, and we're going to see, and the sinner, the, our sinful hearts are going to get to see all the horrible things. And this woman corresponds, of course, to this famous woman of Revelation, this Babylon, Shinar and Babylon, or, or, uh, as it says here, it, are, the same, are the same thing. She's going to have her day. Revelation 17. Here's this woman ultimately out of the basket and out free to do what she wants. And again, it's symbolic language, but nonetheless, you get a picture of how horrible it's going to be. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. This beast, of course, is the Antichrist. And they're in cahoots. And he represents the government system, and she represents the religious and the economic system and all the things put together. Full, that is the beast, of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman, on the other hand, is clothed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold. So she's going to be... Able to do everything she wants. Precious stones, pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations of the unclean things of her immorality and all on her forehead, a name which was written, again, again, tying us to the scripture, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth, drunk with the blood of the saints, says she was, and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. She is going to have her day. She's being curtailed today. She, sorry ladies again. Just in the sense of wickedness. This, this system is being curtailed, but it will not last forever. This, this system is flying out. It can fly out of our lives. It can fly out of others' lives. But ultimately, this earth is going to embrace it. And then, of course, the end's going to come. 
But it doesn't have to be that. We don't need to worry about her. You need to worry about yourself, where you stand. See, with regards to that system, we have a very simple answer, or I should say a deletion of one answer and an inclusion of another one. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Those Ten Commandments, they're not saving you. They're your curse. They're the reasons why you're going to hell. Like I said, as you bring people in your house, there's the ten reasons why I'm headed straight to hell. I'm going to bust it wide open. And why they're going to hell as well. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. That'd be you. That'd be me. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God. Please hear that. Because the righteous will live by faith. See, there's not an answer when it comes to the law because you've already broken it. There's no one doing that. You've broken an eternal law. There's eternal consequences. Done. But God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the eternal consequences, which is what He did on the cross. And now it remains for you to accept what He did for you. Have you done that? Again, I'm not asking you if you believe in Jesus and that you believe that He's a Savior. Is He your Savior? Have you trusted Him? Because this scroll is flying, guys. And it's going to make, a, make an end of any place, you can be sure. Again, like I said, all symbolic language, yeah. Because the, the reality is so much worse. So much worse. I want to ask you, please, to bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we think about the things that we said. I want to give you an opportunity right now to accept Jesus as your Savior. Like I said, and not enough to know that He is the Savior. Not enough. You have to accept Him as your Savior. You have to have an encounter with the Son of God in which you trust Him. Maybe no, there's no special prayer. There's no magic in any particular words. It's just a heart that desires the forgiveness of God and being right with Him through God's Son and this reconciliation. And I, I, don't, I want the evil to be flying out of my life and not, not judgment and curse to be flying in. It's that desire, recognizing that you need to be rescued that will turn your heart to the Savior. And if that's you, then maybe you could pray a prayer like this in your heart to Him. Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to forgive my sins. I trust you as my Savior. I trust what you've done on the cross. And I trust your resurrection that proves that you are the Savior. I trust you today. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you indeed are the Savior and that you love to save and and that, that, that sin is being curtailed and evil is being curtailed because you love us. You love sinners. And you want us reconciled to you. And I thank you, God, for the privilege we have to be your ambassadors, to share the truth. We can proclaim the good news that we need to be reconciled to God. I pray, God, for the person here who struggles with that reconciliation, that they would submit to it. Lord, I thank you for the reconciliation that we have through your Son, Jesus Christ, that these curses don't apply to us anymore, if that's true, and that we have your forgiveness and and your life. We thank you, God, that you're in control. We thank you, God, for telling us stuff way ahead of time. Help us to be changed as a result of it. Thank you so much for speaking to us today. We give you the glory, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.